<clears throat> Good morning. So great to see you all. Um, in fact, before we start, there we go. Got that from my personal records. We're good to go, Ed? Yeah, we're good. We're good? All right, good. So good morning. We'll begin with this thought. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Let's commit our time to the Lord. Lord God, we thank you for this beautiful day and for the unending, untiring word that inspires and encourages us each and every day. Thank you for this time to be together. And as we study your word, we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ, who is indeed the King of kings and Lord of lords in all things and in every way. Be glorified this morning as we think of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his name, amen. So I hope that was not a tease. We are not going to study Revelation 19 this morning, but uh, we are going to think about the Lord Jesus Christ. As we finished our, uh, our series on the kings of Judah, there was one king who came to my mind uh, that we did not discuss, who was indeed the king of Judah. But before we get to him, a quick recap. Uh, and I hope you were, you were blessed and encouraged by the study on the kings because we learned a lot of practical things from these kings. Uh, we were encouraged to fortify our city, build up our lives and our homes uh, with the word of God and a relationship with God. We were encouraged to tear down the altars of idol worship that existed in our lives or may come in today. We were encouraged to give God all glory for our successes and our blessings. We were encouraged to turn to God in prayer when in need or distress, and not to try and solve things with ungodly alliances. We're encouraged to have godly influences and advisors and to avoid ungodly advisors. And we are encouraged to take time to rest in the Lord. And I'm sure there was more than that, but those were the, the highlights that came to my mind when we studied these kings of Judah. But there was one more thing that we learned very clearly when we studied these kings. Not one of them could fulfill God's promise of one who would sit on the throne forever that he gave to David. Not one of them was perfect. The best of them, whether it was Hezekiah or Josiah or any other king you think of, still fell short of what God required for one to sit on his throne. The majority of them couldn't even be called good. And the good ones could not be called perfect. And as we look out through history even outside the nation of Judah. We are left with only one plea from our heart. Not just the recognition that Jesus, you are king. But please, please, be my king. He alone is worthy of that title. He alone fulfilled every promise and requirement that God laid out. Not just that one would sit on the throne forever, but who he would be. God keeps his promises, and God promised a king from the line of David. But none of those kings measured up. But before we even get to that, 
I think it's important to remember for ourselves how they even came into that position. When uh, Samuel was near the end of his life, he addressed the people and he's admonishing them for the position they put themselves for desiring an earthly king. And when you saw, this is 1 Samuel 12, 12. And when you saw that Nahash, king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, no, but a king shall reign over us. When the Lord your God was your king. The, the idea of a king actually was not new because the Lord was king. But in their fear and in their terror, they did not turn to God and trust in God. And they said, we want a man like the other kings. So does our fear in our earthly situations cause us to lack a trust in God when God is already king? Do we let fear today cause us, like those Israelites so long ago, to cry out for a different king? Or do we look to God and say, you are my king. I do not fear my current situation. I do not tremble. I will not look to man for solutions that only you can provide. But a king did come. A promised king did come. And we know that when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, Zechariah was quoted when he rode in on the donkey. But John doesn't quote the full verse from Zechariah 9.9. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. See, they shouted out the king was coming on the, on the colt, the foal of a donkey. But it's what he brought. He didn't bring a sword. He didn't bring an army. He was just and bringing salvation lowly and riding on a donkey. Who looks for a king in that way? Only someone who knows what to look for. But that's the way he came. Every king anointed through the kings of Judah never came this way. Only Jesus Christ rode into Jerusalem humble and lowly but hailed as a king. And the thoughts I want us to continue on as we go through this morning is this declaration. He is coming to you. So we don't go to him. He came. And he's just, always right, always good, and having salvation. There is redemption through the king who came in in humility. We call this the Messianic Kingdom, if you will. That Jesus of Nazareth fulfilled the requirements of a Messiah. The Messiah 
meaning the same thing as Christ. And it means anointed one. One that God chose. In Psalm 45, if you'd like to turn to Psalm 45 with me. Now obviously there's, there's no way in 30 minutes we could cover everything about the kingdom of Jesus Christ. But uh, my thoughts uh, as I meditate on the Lord as King brought me to Psalm 45, verses 6 and 7. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. See, the kingdom of God, a scepter is that staff that a king holds. I'm not sure which way to turn. Which way to turn? I'm trying to kill the wind. The, uh, let me talk this way for a minute. The, the scepter is the thing that the king holds so that everyone knows that's the one who has authority. That's the one who holds the position of domination on this position and rules the kingdom. And what is God's scepter of? It's a scepter of righteousness. It says you love righteousness and hate wickedness. All right, we're good. We're good. Thank you. You see that? You love righteousness and you hate wickedness. That's the kingdom. And Jesus was anointed with the oil of gladness, gladly coming to establish this kingdom. Psalm 89 verse 14 says, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne, and mercy and truth go before your face. We cannot look upon the throne of God where Jesus Christ sits and not acknowledge that it is built upon righteousness. Righteousness being that which is always good. You know, sometimes righteousness, I don't know about for you, but for me, i got to be honest, righteousness is one of those things that I think I know, but it's almost hard to define. But what we need to realize in God's eyes, it's not just the lack of, of doing bad but it's doing good righteousness is doing what is good that's Jesus Christ Jesus Christ came and did what couldn't be done but it's balanced with mercy and truth you know Jesus established righteousness when he explained the law we call it the golden rule. Some people look at the law and say, don't do this and don't do that. But in the eyes of God, it's do. Do unto others. Give. Serve. Care. If you read through the admonishments and the rebukes of the prophets, especially guys like Isaiah and Zechariah, you will see the anger of God, the anger of God at these people because they would not care for the poor and the weak in their society. The widows, the orphans, the foreigner, the poor. They were not doing it. 
and it angered God because that's not righteousness. My righteousness is not just found in not keeping my eyes from looking at things they shouldn't look at, not saying things I shouldn't say and using words I shouldn't use, but the righteousness of God is found in me when I do unto others what they need done, that I'm here to do, that I can do, that they can't do for themselves. That is the, when the kingdom of God comes to this place, is when the children of God go out and do what they can't, people can't do for themselves. When we meet needs, when we care for the poor, when we care for the weak, So we've established that Jesus Christ is king. And his throne is one of righteousness and justice. It is always fair. There's no partiality in the kingdom. And we all know you're sitting here today because you know that none of us stand before God just. When God judges us fairly and evenly, none of us match up. None of us is righteous. But we come before God now in a righteousness not our own, found in Jesus Christ. So now that we establish that we are in the kingdom, if we recognize that Jesus Christ is Lord and King, we have some responsibilities. David gives an example of how to respond to royalty. Even David, before he was established on the throne, in 1 Samuel 24, 8, now David is on the run for his life from Saul right now. Saul is still king. And David also arose afterward, went out of the cave, and called out to Saul, saying, My Lord the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed down. The first response when confronted with the king is humility. We need to know who he is and respond to him accordingly. And that begins with humility and bowing before him. Psalm 45, verses 1 and 2 says, A praise of David. I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you. And I will praise your name forever and ever. The heart of the person living in the kingdom of God needs to spend every day exalting God. Every day needs to begin with exalting God and recognizing Jesus Christ as king. David wrote this psalm and he calls God his king. It's amazing. David does not say, bow before me, I am your king. He says, I will extol you, my God. You've put me in this place, and I'm still going to recognize you as my authority. Because that's what a king is. A king is just a title for the person who has the absolute authority and rules supreme. For David, God was his king. And he says, I will bless your name forever, and every day I will bless you, and I will praise your name. So maybe we can be encouraged to begin our day and remember every day the responsibility and the privilege it is to extol God 
to bless God, to praise God, and remember that we are His. But that's kind of between us and God. We're also called to do more. We are not called to sit back and just hide and be in our comfort. If you want to turn with me to Matthew 25... There's a couple things that, are, that, that have to happen here. Either we live out the kingdom here that's in our heart, we go to the kingdom of heaven, or Jesus is going to come back and reign on earth as king. Since we're all here right now, we're going to work on the first one. Matthew 25. Jesus gives a description of what those who belong to him are like. Actually, we'll start in verse 34. The king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly I say to you, and as much as you did it to one of the least of these my brethren, you did it to me. Again, the righteousness of God, if we're going to live it out, if we're going to follow God and be those who represent Jesus Christ, we have to be those who do. And I have to stand here before you as I say these words and tell you how they convict my heart. Because I, I do not. There's a lot of hurt going on right now. It was hard for me to kind of concentrate on this message and think about the things that are going on uh, in our neighborhoods, in our country, in our cities. A lot of it we can't justify. But a lot of it we should be able to empathize and realize. Putting aside the criminal element, which we will never support, there are people who are hurting. It doesn't matter. I'm going to warn you now that I'm being very careful with the words I use. And we have to. Because things get um, connected and misunderstood and misrepresented. So I know, looking out at all of you here and even those who aren't here who I know, I know we stand upon this one truth that we know because God is our King and what He has taught us is that every life has value. Amen? Thank you. Every life. And we stand upon that and recognize that every life needs redemption and every life is deserving of the love of God. Every life. And sometimes when people try and 
break these things, the parts of life into little groups, it gets confusing because too many things come into the mix in the conversation. And it starts getting off at different tangents. And what we want to talk about is not what we talk about. It doesn't matter if we're talking about the unborn or black men or unwed teenage mothers or the elderly or the sick and infirmed or the handicapped parents of teenagers. Every life has value. Every life. So we should not fear when someone wants to talk about a specific section of society that is hurting. Just say that life has value. Yes, I care. The police matter. The police need to be cared for because they lay their lives on the line for us every single day. I think and I hope and I pray that we can share the love of God in conversations with things that are going on right now with wisdom and maturity and not take the bait and be drawn into arguments that no one can win. I have no problem saying the lives of black men are valuable to me. I cannot deny that there is partiality in some parts of our society at times. There is injustice. There is unfair prison sentences. There are unfair arrests. But there are a lot of good that happens too. I'm not afraid to talk about that. I'm not afraid to say, yeah, you know what? It is hard. I care. I don't have to be drawn into political debates because Jesus didn't. Jesus showed he cared about the Samaritan woman and about the prostitutes and the tax collectors and every little group that gets ostracized because they have a label on them. Why can't we just talk to these people and say, I care about you, and not be afraid of being drawn into some ugly political debate that no one can win? Tell them that you love them. Tell them that you care. And I want to make sure that I balance this with the importance of respecting and supporting our police community. I love and I try and make it a, a practice and a habit. Every opportunity I have, wherever I am, if I see a police officer on duty, I try and get away over to them and say thank you. When I'm walking from the Harlem River parking lot all the way to Yankee Stadium, I probably thank probably five or six cops all the way. For, thank you for being here. When I'm in town, I see them walking. I say thank you. And I encourage you to do the same. The group that I don't usually say thank you to is the cops around Yankee Stadium with the German Shepherds. I'm not crazy about that. I'm not going near them. But, you know, I, German Shepherds are beautiful, but I think I'm going to keep my distance. And I certainly thank the police officers who have generously given me warnings and not tickets. But they're good, and we need them, and they need our support and our love. But you know what? We shouldn't be afraid to say God loves you. And because God loves you, I love you. And because I love you, I want to hear what's on your heart. I cannot support violence, I cannot support your destruction, and I cannot support lawlessness, because my God is righteous and just. But if you are hurting, I want to know, because I want to pray for you, and I want God 
to manifest. Because the only thing that's going to change what's going on is the love of Jesus Christ. Only Jesus Christ is going to change people's hearts. I want you to be um, considering and praying. I have a thought that I don't know. Um, it just seems like a lot of the violence and destruction that's been happening almost seems like it's orchestrated by the enemy of God to distract us from people who actually need love. And so as we get uh, upset and frustrated over some of the things that happen, pray for them. Pray for them. Because they're being manipulated. But we have an opportunity to bring the Word of God and the love of God right now. Right now, everything is ripe for the love of God. I don't have the answers on how to do it. I'm sorry I don't. But I know that we're here for a reason. And I know these people need to hear the love of God. They need to hear it. So don't be afraid of it. Just don't take the bait. Don't get sucked into political conversations and arguments because no one's going to win them. Just tell them, I love you. I may not agree with everything, but I love you. And I know that God values your life. And he values your life so much that he gave his only son to redeem you. Amen? I'm going to close in a word of prayer. And uh, we're going to pray for some of these things. Father God, we thank you again for our Lord Jesus Christ. For the throne he sits upon for eternity. A throne of righteousness. But mercy and truth is before his face. Father, we thank you that you have redeemed us from our unrighteous ways. You've spoken to our hearts and you have made very clear to us how much you value life. You valued my life so much that you gave what was most precious to you that I could be redeemed and atoned for. And I know, Lord, that this offer is for everyone. Lord, we pray for those who are hurting today. We pray for those who have um, suffered injustice, that you would bring mercy to their souls and comfort and peace. And help them to know that they are loved. Lord, we pray for our police who have such a hard job to do. We thank you for them so much. Leaving their homes every day, not knowing if they will come home. What a sacrifice they make and what a symbol of God's love, whether they know it or not. So we ask your protection upon those who have sworn to protect us. And we ask you, Father, to give them wisdom and self-control and sound judgment and discernment to control emotions. God, I know there's a reason why I do not have a badge and a gun. But those who do, we ask you to protect them in all ways. Father, we pray for those who have uh, been looted and robbed, that you would restore to them tenfold the injustice that's been done to them. May they know the love of God for those who care for them through what they've experienced. Lord, we pray for those who are angry that you would bring peace 
Indeed, Lord, clearly there's justice that is needed to be met out in our land. And we pray that it will be done your way, the godly way, without partiality, without corruption, Lord, but with justice and fairness and love. Lord, we pray for your name to go forth throughout this land. Because, God, none of these things can happen without the heart of God, the giving of the Holy Spirit, and the truth of God living in the hearts of men so that each may love as you love. We cannot do that without you, Lord. So, God, we ask you to be exalted. We ask you to be glorified. And we ask that the name of Jesus Christ will be mentioned throughout this land. And it would not be one of um, conflict, but one of peace. Father, again, we thank you for our Lord. And we give him all glory. And may we remember to bless him each and every day. And to bow our face before our King. And remember him who reigns on high. We thank you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.